And I, Patrick showed me three or four different video clips that possibly I could have shown to you this morning, but I ultimately settled on this one because it actually connects very well with the passage of Scripture that we're going to be studying this morning. John chapter 15, and we're going to go through the first 11 verses. It's about Jesus being the, the vine, the true vine, and we the branches. So I'm going to read through the passage, and then we'll begin the discussion. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me or abide in me, as I also remain or abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus begins by identifying himself as the true vine. Now, this is important. This is something that we need to understand. At the very conclusion of chapter 14, there in the upper room, Jesus says, come now, let us leave. So they begin a journey from the upper room through the streets of Jerusalem, out the gate, across the Kidron Valley, into the Garden of Gethsemane. So they are walking now. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. It's very interesting because on the gate, as you exited or entered Jerusalem, there was a carving of a vine. And the vine was representative, of course, of Israel. Several times throughout the Old Testament, God referred to Israel as a vine. Not necessarily in a positive sense. In fact, in Hosea chapter 10, he says that Israel is a spreading vine. In other words, Israel has spread out through all of the other nations and adopted and adapted their gods and made them their own. So the people of Israel have come to know the nation and the religion of Judaism as the vine. But Jesus is telling them here, no, I am the true vine. I am the one to whom you must be connected and through whom you will receive life. It's not through religious observance. It's not through ethnic identity. It's not through attendance at a church. Although we'll talk in a moment, that can be an important aspect of abiding in, in the vine. But it's through connection to Jesus Christ. Now the word abide here in, in these verses is the Greek word meno. And in other parts of Scripture, it's translated in different ways. As dwell, or as continue, or endure, or remain. And so those words, I think, help us to understand a little bit about what Jesus is saying 
here when he tells his disciples that you must abide in me because I am the true vine. You must dwell with me. You must remain where I am. You must endure hardship and sufferings in order to be with me. And you must continue your journey, never giving up in spite of whatever may befall you. That's a little bit about what it means to abide. Now, the primary characteristic, I believe, of any Christian, I mean, there are a lot of Christian denominations. There are a lot of people throughout the world who characterize themselves as Christian, but the primary characteristic that I believe identifies us as Christians is when we abide in him. In the first uh, 16 verses of this chapter, there are 14 references to us abiding in him or him abiding in us. That mutual relationship where we are connected together. That's the characteristic that ultimately identifies us, you and me, as Christians. That we abide in him. We draw our life from him. Our Zoe, remember we talked about Zoe? It's not bios, not the Greek word bios, but the Greek word Zoe, which means the higher plane of life, the spiritual life, the full life that God wants us to have. We get that from abiding in Him. Now, how do we abide in Jesus Christ? I mean, it's a good question. If it's the primary characteristic of us as Christians, we ought to know what we are to do in order to abide in Him. Now, there's a passage. It's a very familiar passage. You all know it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The love chapter. And at the very conclusion of the love chapter, what does Paul say? He says, now abide, the same word, mino, now abide faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So when we abide in Jesus Christ, it's both spiritual and it's practical. There is a mystical aspect to us abiding in Jesus Christ. And when I say spiritual or mystical, what I'm talking about is it's unseen to the physical eye. And yet, it's as real as me standing here this morning. When we abide in Jesus Christ, spiritually, we have been baptized into his body. Spiritually, we have been placed into the body of Christ. We have been baptized into him or immersed into him or enveloped by him. So spiritually speaking, that's where we dwell. That's why Paul is able to say in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, that we are seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And you say, well, hold it, Greg. No, no, we're not. We're seated here in the pews at Community Church. And no, no, you're not. Spiritually speaking, in a mystical sense, you are seated in heaven with Christ because you have been baptized into his body. Now, abide faith, hope, and love. Remain in faith, hope, and love. Continue in faith, hope, and love. Dwell in faith, hope, and love. That's the mystical reality that each of us experience as Christians. 
in order to abide in Jesus. By faith, we understand that we are in the body of Christ. Now, so faith is the first mystical experience that we have as we abide in Christ. Now, where does faith come from? What does the Bible say? Romans chapter 10, verse 17, you know it. Faith comes by hearing, and by hearing the word of God. So that's the mystical that moves us into the practical reality of abiding in Christ. And that is reading this word. You want to be a a Christian who abides in Christ? You need to find yourself regularly in the Bible, reading these pages. You say to me, Greg, the Bible is just so hard for me to understand. I don't get it. That's okay. The more you read it, the more you will get it. And the more you read it, the less you'll get it. It's a difficult book. It's a difficult book. But there is a, a reality that occurs when you read these words when you put them into your heart, look what Jesus said. If you remain in me and my word remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So practically speaking, we need to be people of the word. We need to get into this book and understand what it says. And if we don't understand it, we just give it to God and say, Lord, put your word in my heart. Work it out in my life. And he will. And that's done by faith. It's done by faith. So back in the mystical, hope. We hope for those things that we have not yet achieved. We hope for those things that we look forward to. So when we're abiding in Christ, we hope for heaven. We hope for a reality where we are face to face with him. Paul said, now we see through a mirror dimly, but then we will see fully and be known fully. And that hope, the Bible says, does not disappoint. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Hope does not disappoint because through hope, the Holy Spirit has been shed abroad in our hearts. So from hope spiritual to hope practical, what does that look like? Well, it takes effect through prayer. So the second practical basis for abiding in Christ is prayer, a prayer life. How many of you were at the movie last night? Good, most of you. So you know. You know what we're talking about here. We watched uh, The War Room last night over at Webster. Powerful movie about the impact of prayer, the reality of prayer in our lives, how it changes things when we trust God and we enter into a prayer life in the Spirit. Paul says to be praying in the Spirit. That is to be allowing the Spirit within us to intercede on behalf of us. That's what it says in Romans, that the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. So the practical aspect of hope is prayer. We pray for those things that we do not see but we know that God has for us. And we do that through the power of the Spirit. So faith and hope, both spiritual and practical in our lives. Back on the spiritual side, love. 
Love is the greatest of these. How do we express our love for God? Well, Jesus tells us right here. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So in the spiritual side, what you need to understand, even though you may not feel this this morning, you may not in your mind fully grasp it, but the spiritual reality is that you are loved by God with an everlasting love that cannot fail. And you say, Craig, you don't know what's going on in my life. How could a God of love let me go through this? Well, we'll talk about that in a moment. But the reality is that you are loved. And because you are loved, you have the opportunity to return love to him. Listen, listen to this, verse 10. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. John gave us that illustration about the impact of a legalistic relationship with God. Because some of you who are prone towards legalism, you read verse 10 and you say, oh, commands, I've got to keep commands. I've got to do, I've got to, be, I've got to do better, I've got to achieve, I've got to strive. That's not what this is talking about. The commands of God are absolutely intended for your benefit, for your blessing. And when you have a love relationship with God, when you keep his commands, you will remain, practically speaking, in his love. So, the spiritual is the knowledge that you are loved by the creator of the universe. The practical of love is that you carry out God's love by keeping his commandments. And you do that in the church. So the third practical reality, we read the word, we pray in the spirit, and we serve in the church. God's body, Christ's body. So that's how, that's how we abide. Spiritually speaking, faith, hope, and love. Practically speaking, Faith, hope, and love. Reading the word, praying in the spirit, serving in the church. Those are the things that help us to abide. That identify that we are abiding in Christ. So what is the evidence that we're doing that? What is the evidence that we're reading the word, that we're praying in the spirit, that we are serving in the church? Well, Jesus gives us the first evidence is that we align ourselves with God's will. Look what it says in verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We start by aligning ourselves with God's will. So when we are abiding in Christ, when we are abiding in the vine, we are aligned with God's will. That is to say, we are excuse me, choosing God's way over our own. Just how in the movie last night, for those of you who watched the movie, the lady, she was trying to live her life and to control her, her family in her own power. It wasn't until she relinquished control and aligned herself with God's will that God was able to begin to work in her and through her. And so it is with us. So it is with us. So when we are 
Abiding in Christ, an evidence of that is we begin to align ourselves with the will of God. Secondly, as I mentioned earlier, we begin to keep the commandments of God. Our lives are characterized by obedience to the Word of God. Now, that can take on a lot of different shapes. Because I can't tell you what obedience for you might look like necessarily. Because God is speaking to you in the pathway that He has placed you on. Now, there are some things that are obvious clearly spoken in the word, but there are other things that each of us are are working out the will of God in our lives and those commands that we are keeping, that God has given to us are demonstrating that we love him and are abiding in his son. Sometimes people like to uh, create a cookie-cutter Christianity, and it's not that way. We don't all look the same. We don't all live the same but we ought all to abide in the same Savior. So that's the second evidence. The third evidence is that we begin to produce fruit. It says there in in verse 2, He has cut off every branch that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit He prunes that it will be even more fruitful. So His desire, His purpose in your life is that you produce fruit that will remain. When I talk about fruit that remains, I'm talking about fruit that has eternal import, that lasts into eternity, that's spiritual in nature in your life. Now, one way to to measure that or to gauge that is uh, through the fruit of the Spirit. In in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, you read that. There's nine different aspects of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that are given there. When you're demonstrating that in your life, you are producing fruit, and it's fruit that will remain because it's fruit generated by the Holy Spirit within you. There are other kinds of fruit that God is going to produce in your life as well. And I'm not going to go through a listing of of that, but if it's fruit that remains, it is fruit that is generated by the Spirit and by the Son. It says in verse 4, you cannot bear fruit unless you remain in the vine. So we produce fruit. Now, as we are branches in the vine producing fruit, what happens? Well, it says the fourth evidence that we're abiding in the vine is that he prunes us. Verse 2, the Father, the vine dresser, prunes us, prunes our lives. Now, the word there, prunes, is an interesting Greek word. It's eros, A-I-R-O-S. And it can mean two different things. It can mean to lift up, and it can also mean to take away. So when the Father is pruning us, we're producing fruit in our lives. We're engaging in a Christian walk that is reflective of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the father, the vine dresser, comes along and he prunes us. Now, what does a vine dresser do who is tending a vine? You know, if there's a, a vine that's hanging down to the ground because of the fruit growing too heavily upon it, he will prune that and he'll take away some of that fruit so that the vine may be lifted up. So arrows. He prunes us so that we can be lifted up. But sometimes in order to lift us up, he takes away things. Now, this is the discipline of the Father. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, talk about the fact that if God loves you 
And if you're a son or a daughter, that he's going to discipline you. And that discipline is reflective of the fact that he loves you, that he's tending you, he's taking care of you. He wants to lift you up in your life to make your life more fruitful. Now, sometimes we don't understand the activity of the vine dresser. Lord, don't you see all these grapes on me? Can't you see that I'm producing fruit? Why are you cutting them away? You don't see the end result, my child. I'm cutting away so that I'm going to lift you up. I have better plans for you, a purpose for you that you don't see right now. But I love you. And that discipline, that pruning, that eros is reflective of the Father's love. Some of you guys are going through situations and circumstances that are just blowing your mind. You're like, Lord, why aren't you providing for me right now? What's going on? And he's working in you perseverance, that fruit of the Spirit that carries you through difficult times. He's saying, you need to learn to persevere. You need to learn to trust me. And in order to do that, child, I'm going to let you go through something a little bit longer than you have in the past so that you can grow. He prunes us because he loves us. And finally, and we'll conclude with this, evidence that you are abiding in the vine. Verse 11. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Again, like John told us this morning, the purpose of God, God, for us to enjoy life, to enjoy him, to be a blessing to him and to others. And in so doing, to have a life of fullness. That's what Jesus said in John 10.10. The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That is God's purpose. He wants you to have fullness of joy. Jesus here is saying, I am giving you my joy so that you might experience it more fully and more completely. Joy is reflective of the fact that you are abiding in Christ. Now, I always use this illustration because to me, it's one of the most dramatic illustrations of a person who has fullness of joy when they are experiencing difficult circumstances. Because we have to remember that joy carries us through difficult circumstances. A deep, mature joy is not about being happy because good things are happening. That's not what deep, mature joy is about. Joy is something more. It says in Hebrews 12.2 that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the suffering of the cross. And in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, who have just released a prison girl, or excuse me, a slave girl, from being imprisoned to an evil spirit, have then themselves become imprisoned because the owner of that slave girl uh, brought charges against them before the magistrates. And so they're in the prison. They're in Philippi. And it says, actually, that they are in the deepest prison, the third prison, which is a place where there was no light, very little air, very dank, probably full of refuse. So imagine that. The worst prison possible. The deepest level possible. And it has become the midnight hour, the darkest hour of the day. Now, if you had just been charged and falsely accused, you had done a good thing, 
but someone had come against you, and as a result of their accusation, you are being mistreated. Paul and Silas both were whipped. Their backs were open from their wounds. Again, in the third prison, chained to the wall, midnight hour, what do they do? They begin to sing praises unto God. And to me, that is a great illustration of a person who has fullness of joy. There's nothing about their circumstances that would indicate or are you for joyful behavior. But they are connected to a reality and a presence far beyond their immediate circumstance. They have the fullness of joy that Jesus has promised. And they begin to sing praises unto God. And as a result, an earthquake occurs. The prison is shaken. Their shackles are undone. They are released. And the, the prison guard thinks that the prisoners are all escaping. He begins to prepare to kill himself because he would have been killed anyway if the prisoners would have gotten away. And Paul stops his hand and says, No, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the prison guard and his whole family become believers through the testimony and the witness of Christ. And because Paul and Silas had fullness of joy, they had been abiding in the vine. They knew they were connected to Jesus Christ, even in the third prison there in Philippi. So too, for you, you can abide in Christ. You can have all of those evidences of that abiding through the reading of the Word, through prayer in the Spirit, through serving in the church. You can have an alignment with the Word of God, an obedience to His commands, a love relationship with Him that leads you into producing fruit in your life that will remain into eternity. A relationship with the Father where He lifts you up for good and where you have fullness of joy regardless of what's going on in your life. It's true. It's true. When we abide in Jesus, it's all available to us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the promise of your word that you are indeed a fortress that surrounds us and you have given us such good things. I pray for this congregation blessing as they abide in you. Lord, I pray that you would just guide each one of us into that abiding relationship. Fill us with your love. Help us to produce fruit that remains. In Jesus' name, amen.